Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary, imperfect space where life is not always sunshine and rainbows, but God is with us and working even in the mess. I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this little podcast where every other week I get to chat with real women about real life as we remind ourselves of our very real God, the one who created us, gives us the breath we're breathing at this very moment, and who loves us more than we can even begin to fathom. Well, Thanksgiving is coming up next week, a tradition, as you know, that started back in the 1600s when pilgrims and natives gave thanks and feasted together. But what's often left out of the story is how after these settlers left England craving religious freedom, they arrived in Massachusetts right before winter. They were unprepared, they barely had any food, and almost half of them died over that long, hard season, both kids and adults. Trust me, this was no vacation. So those who survived started getting established in this new world and were finally enjoying a big harvest after suffering through so much. Okay, I didn't mean to go all history lesson on you today, but I just want to take note that the harvest was sweeter and the praises were more authentic because of what they'd gone through. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I can't think of anyone better to talk about just how we can give thanks in every situation, both good and bad, than my guest for episode number 19, Amanda Taylor. Amanda is a pastor's wife, mom of five with one more on the way, and owner of a wedding planning business. She's creative, she's adorable, and she's simply a woman who's allowing God to use the messes in her life to bring Him glory and encourage others along the way. So we'd love for you to grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. Hi, Amanda. Hey, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Well, everyone likes to know who they're hearing from. So would you just take a second and introduce yourself and give everyone a little peek into your world? Yes, I am Amanda. I'm married to Colby. We have been married for 11 and a half years, and we have five children and pregnant with number six. Um, Our oldest is eight. We have an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a 16-month-old, and a baby. So yes, our days (laughs) are... So you're not busy at all, basically. A little wild and crazy. If you like a clean house, just don't come to mind. This is the messy table, baby. Absolutely. Um, My husband is a pastor at Life Church. He's a host team pastor at Broadway in Britain. So we spend a lot of our time... He's there, obviously, all the time, But on Sundays, our heart and passion is just our family there. And then I also own a wedding planning company. And so in, you know, a little bit of free time now and then fill it with (laughs) planning weddings. And so it's fun. It's we have definitely learned over the years of just, you know, that crazy word of balance of just kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't and spending our time with our family and working and ministry and all of that. So, Mm. yeah. So I've been intrigued by wedding planners ever since the movie, The Wedding Planner, oh, came yes. out with J-Lo and Matthew um, McConaughey. <laughs> yep, it's, absolutely. Please Everyone tell me your life is exactly. Headphone. What? Exactly. I have that headphone that she walks around where she says F-O-B. <laughs> so, you know, it is, it is, there, there's parts that are glamorous, but there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes. So, but that's one of my favorite movies too. I know. It's so great. So you talked a second about um, balance or the myth of balance, but um, how how do you kind of do it all? What, what are some things you guys have learned? 
Yeah, I think um, the most important is just kind of focusing on what needs to be focused on. And so when my kids are home, my kids are home. That means everything's off. Um, I'm not answering emails. I'm not answering calls. And I'm just full on home with them. And then when they're at school, that's when I focus on time with my work. Um, And then, Mm -hmm. you know, on Sundays, we just focus, our hearts are kind of for our church and ministry there. And so it's just what's in front of me in this moment. I'm going to give my heart and soul to that. We don't do it well some days. It just feels like mass chaos. Of course, to be totally honest. Um, I only have two and sometimes it feels like mass chaos. Actually, a lot of the time it is. So, yes. So, I mean, it is when they say it takes a village there, we've learned just through this past season of flag football and soccer and weddings. And it was just like, okay, we had friends taking one kids, family taking another. I'm at a wedding always out of mm. working. So, you know, it, there's just seasons. And so to be flexible and, you know, do the best that you can with what you have. So right. you were homeschooling and now they're in school. So yes. has that transition kind of helped with some of the workload? Yes, it has. There was, um, definitely no way I could be doing what I was doing and homeschooling, which I hope in our future, I hope homeschooling is back on our plates, but in this season, the best thing, Um, was for them to go to school and it's Mm -hmm. been a really sweet season. Yeah. Well, and that's an important reminder that it's per season, you know, seasons change, things are always kind of evolving. So totally. Well, um, I know you have a passion for marriages and it really is so neat that you're able to pour just life and encouragement into these couples, um, leading up to and on their big day. So I know that that's a passion of yours. What are some other things that kind of light you up or light your soul on fire? Yeah. I mean, just when I think about these engaged couples, just our own marriage, I'm I think of the three M's like marriage, motherhood, and ministry are the three things that I am just super passionate about. Really, um, I'm kind of one of those nerds that sets goals and monthly goals, which sounds so silly when I like talk about it, but um, just to never grow stagnant in my marriage. You know, we, um, I nannied for a family. They did a date night once a week. And so I learned that early on. And so it's kind of just been something that we've done in our marriage. And obviously, once again, there are seasons that it's more like once a month, but to invest in our marriage, to when it comes to my mothering with my kids, I think about teachable moments, to take advantage of those teachable moments, to invest in them, and then ministry, just those three M's of pouring in, really just seeing, God, what do you have for me today in the season? Um, every Wednesday, I meet with some young adult women that I just love doing, that sometimes I think they teach me more than I'm teaching mm-hmm. them. Um, but really of just living this intentional life, which sounds kind of stereotypical or like a cliche answer, but just to not go through the motions. Honestly, I've gone through seasons of kind of feeling just numb or just blah. Um, and I don't think we're created to live like that. I think that there's so much life and purpose and what we're doing and to take hold of that in our marriage and our parenting and whatever God has on our plate, whether we're a teacher or a lawyer, or we teach exercise classes, whatever that is, you know, to really, um, live it with intention. So you went through quite a messy season a few years back Will you tell us a little bit about that and how you survived? Yes, it is crazy that we're approaching five years of it. Um, But yes, so in 2013, I was pregnant with baby number four and everything was great. I had already had three kids and had healthy labors, healthy deliveries, healthy babies. Um, We were just right on track to have another healthy full-term 40-week baby and then... um, 
at 32 weeks, my water broke and, um, to kind of make a long story short, it all just went downhill from there. So while I was 32 weeks, they had to do an emergency C-section. Um, and then the baby was born, Asher, and he stayed in the NICU. And 12 days after he was born, I found myself in a psychiatric hospital and left there with the diagnosis of postpartum psychosis, which is a pretty rare postpartum illness. Not to be confused with postpartum depression. Yes. So exactly. Postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and there's kind of postpartum OCD. Those are all, there's all different facets. And so postpartum psychosis is a little bit more on the rare side and a little bit more on, uh, I mean, just very, very severe. And I honestly never really heard it before. And that started um, a year of a really, really horrible year of sickness. Um, it's kind of hard to narrow it all down. Um, but I just did things that you don't do. I lied to my husband very consistently, but very, um, ridiculous. I mean, I went out and was in the process of buying a brand new house and buying two cars all while he thought I was having coffee with a friend, but I'm actually meeting with lenders. And and this was right after your baby was born. Yes. This is 12 days after he was born. So when I should have been at the hospital with my NICU or, you know, feeding him, I was just, my mind was completely, it was not right. I was Mm -hmm. very, very sick, but looking back, I remember it clear as day being perfectly normal. Hmm. I remember buying the cars. I remember our, we had a super old minivan. It wasn't going to be reliable to bring home our fourth child. So we needed something more reliable. And so, and then Colby drives so much with his job. So he needed a good gas mileage car and neither of our cars were great. And so, so it made sense to you. Yeah, it made perfect sense. Just don't tell if your husband. You it's fine. Yeah, he doesn't need to We know. can buy a new house. Be home. Yeah. So all these things. Honey, we're so moving. Then, Surprise. Yeah. Really? I mean, that's honestly how it was. I came home and he said, where have you been? And I said, oh, um, the realtor is coming to drop off the keys in an hour. I've already called my friends. We're moving tonight. And he's like, what? We have a baby in the NICU. We have these three kids. What are you doing? And so he knew something was wrong, did not know what. He called my doctor and she said, take Amanda to the ER. And so we were at the ER. Um, This is 12 days after baby is born. And I just remember sitting there, like, mocking my husband, complaining, saying, why did you take me here? We're going to leave. Like, the doctor's going to come in any minute and say, your wife is fine. She just had a baby. Y'all need to go take care of the baby in the NICU. I knew exactly how it was going to end. And so at 2 in the morning in the ER, when a police officer walks in and says, "Um, ma'am, you're coming with me. I just looked at my husband and thought, this is not how it was supposed to end. Mm. Like, I'm fine. I'm great. And so all I remember is walking down this hallway with a police officer and getting in the back of a police car, and he's driving me to a psychiatric hospital. And the next thing I know, I'm in the middle. I don't even know how I got there. And Mm. it is just so bizarre. It's one of those things. It's really honestly hard to talk about in the sense of if you haven't experienced it, that the thoughts that went through my head in this hospital were very psychotic and rare, which just seems silly, especially if you know me, I'm a very just like normal, positive, great, but I was 
it, I was not in the right state of mind and was postpartum psychosis. There was literally the psychotic part of my brain mm -hmm. that was just a mental illness that was raging. Did you want to like hurt yourself or were you at that moment? I didn't at this moment I'm manic, which mm -hmm. means I'm just kind of on the spiritual high. And right. so I'm seeing God in everything. I know that the whole reason I'm sick is because I'm in this hospital to save these people because they were dealing with some of them had just tried to commit suicide and some of them, they were there for just really of just kind of evil reasons. And so it was a bizarre, um, just random. I can't even describe it. Wow. Um, so, so how, oh. how, um, long was it after your water broke to where you delivered Asher? Um, like two days. Okay. And during that period, do you, do you start to have, like, what do they say is the diagnosis or the cause? Do they give you a cause? Is it a hormonal no thing? Cause. Is it I a, mean, it's completely random. And so I started at one hospital and they were just checking my levels. They said, you're going to be here for one day to eight weeks. Ideally, we'd love to get you to 40 weeks. So we're just going to monitor you and watch you. And then two days later is when they came in and they said, he has to come out right away. Mm -hmm. And the hospital I was at did not have a NICU. And so an ambulance had to rush me from one hospital to another. Mm. And so through that, I went to counseling for a year. And so the counselor said just how traumatic that was, which I remember at the time, I didn't think it was traumatic. I was just doing what the doctor said, like, here comes an ambulance. Okay. Ambulance takes me to one hospital. It was kind of like what you see on the movies, just like wheeled out, rushed in, cut open. None of the protocols are done that are normally done for a C-section when it's an emergency. Mm -hmm. It's all very fast. And so just how fast everything happened and how I wasn't prepared for that. Um, just my counselor, the trauma of it all kind of affected me and my brain. Also, hormonally, having four kids in four years, not ever really getting back to just kind of a normal baseline. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of played a part in it. So no one really knows why it happened, but that was kind of the background on wow. how it started. So you were in the psychiatric hospital, and how long were you in there? Um, I was there the first time for seven days. That was in March. Okay. Came home, dealt with postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and then I went through, a, I mean, very, very dark depression, did have suicidal thoughts, was dangerous, um, was trying to get better and thought I was getting better. Kind of to make a long story short, I was on about 12 medicines at a time trying to figure out what would work and what wouldn't work. Um, some things would take me off of this manic high, which I needed to get off because it was not a good place to be. Mm -hmm. um, but it would, I would have these severe, like I would be itching all over my body or I would be, I just couldn't stop eating. And so I gained 60 pounds in a very short amount of time from. And you're a little girl. Around. You're not <laughs> yeah, a big so thing. I felt, um, not the best, but you know, I, at that point I didn't care about the weight gain cause I cared about trying to get healthy. And so I was like, what, what will work? Um, and so we just kept on go trying all these medicines and antidepressants and antipsychotics and, um, mood stabilizers and just all kinds of medicine, whatever would work. And so in July, we thought we found one that was working and to make a long story short, it kind of worked too good, too fast in the sense that it took me from a very dark depression to a very manic high. And that manic is this overly joyful state, overly happiness, blissful. Um, and so at that point in July, I started having these thoughts that I remember having in March that I knew were not normal. And so I told Colby, I said, 
I need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I need to go back. I feel sick. But this time I knew the so last this time, time I was you there, recognized it. Yes. And so the last time I was there for seven days. And so I thought, you know what? Let me just check me in. I'll be there for like a day or two. They have my records. They know what medicine will work. I'll be there. I'll come home. It'll be fine. And so we still had to go through the ER again and they had to admit me. And so, um, but did end up going to the psychiatric hospital for the second time. It did not play out how I thought it would. I thought I would just be there for a day and um, go home. And so the last time I went there in March, I had a roommate. There's two people in a room at the psychiatric hospital. And this time I didn't have a roommate. And I was really confused by that because I loved having a roommate. We got to talk and hang out and it was just this great little time. And it turns out now after the fact, knowing I, I was wondering why I never had a roommate. It was because how dangerous they thought I was and that I could not be left alone with another person. They thought I would seriously harm someone. Wow. And so they put me in a room that had cameras so they could watch me at all times, That's which is insane. so bizarre yeah, yeah. to think about because I'm just like, I would never hurt anybody. Because you're the but sweetest thing. <laughs> in that state of mind, yeah. I was. And so um, that was on, It's I just thought I'd be in and out. And this day I was actually there for 11 days and and um, it was on like the ninth day that things just got progressively worse. And I, I was ready. I was angry at the doctors and the caseworkers and everyone that I was still there. No one was taking care of me and nobody was helping me. And so I, I honestly, I remember at Clara's day, I was very aggressive. I was, was trying anything to hurt anybody. And so I just, which it seems so silly to think about, but once again, I am literally going after caseworkers, doctors, punching, kicking, biting, fighting. I am Mm. angry. And so they, nothing could calm me down. And so the only thing they could do was I just remember six of them kind of all ganging up on me and they just slammed me to a wall. Mm. And then I just remember them dragging me down the hallway. Like you're a criminal or something. Yes. And so all of a sudden I'm in this tiny, tiny room. And I remember walking in and I just see these chains on the ground and I'm like, surely not. And sure enough, they just chained me. Um, there's four chains, one for both of my arms and one for both of my legs. And they just chained me to this room until (sighs) I could calm down. They're shooting medicine in parts of my body, doing anything to calm me down. Um, and then that, that honestly, that was like the lowest point. That's, that's one of those, like, there's nowhere to go. Like I <laughs> that's rock bottom. Time. Yeah. Yes. And so you have a new just, baby and yes. you are chained to a floor in a psychiatric Absolutely. hospital. Yeah. And so it was just, that is kind of, that just describes the year of 2013, all of that information to say, um, I was very sick for an entire year. I want to make note of this, like during all of this time, like I'm still a believer. I'm mm-hmm. still seeking the Lord. I'm still praying. I'm still in the word. It, I just remember thinking like, I know his word says I can touch the hem of his garment and be healed. I know that his promises, he will provide, he will be true and faithful, but like, I'm not so sure in the middle of being chained to a floor, there was just some really dark moments that I thought, Mm -hmm. Lord, what's going on? And so, you know, I wrestled with that, but there was so much good that came out of that year of sickness. And so even from there, that was in July, I honestly didn't start feeling better until about April or May of the next year. So I was sick for about 16 months and it just felt like the longest, hardest, darkest. I honestly thought I would never feel normal again. I thought you would would struggle with it forever. Yes, forever. And, you know, and there's no I would never 
be joyful or happy or any, like nothing good could ever come from, I just thought I'm sick. I'm going to be sick forever. But at the same time, feeling that, but doing whatever I could on my end to be proactive and healing and knowing like things can get better. What can I do to try to get better? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just kind of wrestling with that and walking through that, through that year. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to what you were talking about at the beginning, as far as you just being totally not self-aware of what was going on. Because I feel like to me, listening to you talk about it, that's one of the most terrifying things is when you think everything's fine and you're not fine. Totally. Like, was there a moment where something just clicked? Um, like you said, before you went in the hospital, the second time you were aware that I'm having these feelings again, I need to check myself in. Was there a moment, um, after the first time that it kind of clicked like, okay, I'm, I'm not okay. Yeah, I do. It was one of those, like looking back the, how would I describe it? Like the setup for everything. It was kind of the perfect storm in the sense of, at that time in 2013, um, like I was 32 weeks pregnant, um, like before anything had happened, I was pregnant. I thought I had eight weeks to go. Mm-hmm. Um, my wedding business at that time was, you know, I had the most booked weddings I had ever had. And so I'm trying to prepare for all of these weddings, either a wrapping up all the details or letting them know I'm about to go on maternity leave in eight weeks. So let's try to get some of these details finished. So Mm -hmm. I have this full-time wedding planning business. I've got three kids. I'm pregnant and just life in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then when my water broke 30 and then I'm, I had the baby, but at the time, like I didn't, I didn't have time to just take care of my baby in the NICU. And in my mind, I know this sounds crazy now, but my thoughts at that time were, I don't have, like, I have all these weddings. I have life. I have to. So how I thought the best way to go about it was to take care of my three kids and my NICU baby all day. Um, and I would just go back and forth from house to hospital, house to hospital, house to hospital all day. And then I'd work all night on my weddings. And so literally I would work from 10 PM to 6 a.m. and then take care of my three kids, go to the hospital, come home, take care of my kids, go to the hospital, come home, work weddings. And I stopped sleeping. So you were not sleeping at all. Mm, No. And so that's a huge part. Like, I don't think it's one of those things. Like I know how important sleep is, sleep Mm -hmm. is, but, um, I just thought, you know what, you've got to buckle through in the season and this is what it looks like. But obviously that's not what you do. And things could have been very different if I really, took care of myself. And, um, but it is one of those things that it, there's a million reasons why it could have happened. We'll never know. Mm -hmm. Um, but it did make me aware in the sense of, especially after that first hospital visit of like, just taking care of yourself of sleeping, even like sometimes different people need different supplements, vitamin D or vitamin B or just certain things. And Mm -hmm. I just wasn't taking care of myself in any way. I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't doing anything. And so all those things led to a very bad thought life and ultimately a severe mental illness. So, Mm -hmm. so you said that a lot of good eventually came out of it. So after those really dark moments being chained to the floor and and that whole year, it sounds like, how did you start to kind of level out and come out of it? Um, you know, it was in January, so March would have been a year. So two months prior to it being a year, I remember going to my psychiatrist and saying, here's the deal. I've been on 12 medicines all year and nothing has worked. And so I'm done. 
I'm not going to take any more medicine. I laugh at this time because I just remember her face. She was like, no, you're not. Like, this is not going to end well. Um, but I just thought, I don't know. I'm going to take oils, which I love oils. I still use oils. But I just thought I'm going to do some kind of natural thing because nothing's working. And she just laughed at me. And she said, let's try a few more things before. Like, I just needed severe help, more help than what a tiny supplement could do just mm -hmm. in my state of health at that time. So all that to say, we finally found a medicine that did bring me out of a dark depression, out of the anxiety. And for the first time in 15 months, I was feeling normal, kind of like normal Amanda baseline, not manic, not overly joyful, not severely depressed, suicidal. And so that was blissful. I mean, mm -hmm. that was just amazing to finally feel good. I wasn't a hundred percent. It didn't happen overnight, but it was the first time I thought, okay, we're going to get through this. We're going to make it. And even this is probably a good time to just brag on my husband because, oh my word. Right. <laughs> he I had to be everything. Yeah. Everything that he did. And I literally could just cry thinking about it in the sense of, I mean, that whole first year, he did every single middle of the night feeding at two different times in the year. He went from, or at the beginning, he went from, he would take care of three kids at home. He'd take care of Asher in the NICU. He'd take care of me in the psychiatric hospital. And then he would just make his rounds from all three of those places and then come home. Um, once Asher was out of the NICU, he did all the middle of the night feedings. He's holding down work, holding down his crazy wife that was locking herself in her room that could not handle life, couldn't handle anything. And so anyways, so through all of that, you mentioned just the good of everything that's come from it. Like our marriage, it, could have easily fallen apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had perfect grounds to just walk away and say, I did not sign up for this. But it's one of those things that I think it's no coincidence that in my job of every, almost every weekend, I'm hearing these vows that for better, or for worse and sickness and in health, like you don't say those one day and walk away. You say those every single day of your marriage. And so he did that in sickness and in health. And for 15 months of sickness, he was there. He was in it. And he was doing whatever it takes. And so it just even still challenges us in our marriage today. Mm -hmm. No, we're not really dealing with a severe sickness, but it's the same thing. Like there's good days and bad days and we're going to stick it out and, you know, fight for our marriage and for our family and for what really matters. So, <sighs> wow. So how do you feel like your experience with postpartum psychosis kind of shifted your perspective on what it means to fight through something hard and persevere? Yeah, I just think my biggest thing for myself and even when I encourage women is to fight through it and to not give up and to do whatever it takes to get healthy. And so um, for me, there's a lot of times we kind of a lot of what we go through can be is relatively easy and we don't really need to take action, but there's a lot of things we go through that are really hard. And especially for the believer, this was something that I struggled with because mm -hmm. like I had mentioned earlier, I just thought all I have to do is pray and God's going to take this away. And all I have, if I just, you know, I, I know these four scriptures, I have them memorized, I'm going to quote them and I'll snap out of it. And so, you know, after 15 months of being sick and still quoting those scriptures and still praying, like that is amazing. There's nothing wrong in any of that, but there comes a time in the midst of a believer that 
we need to see a counselor. There's times we need to check into rehab. There's times we need to go, our husband and I both need to go to a marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need to take the medicine. Sometimes we need to check into the gym. Sometimes we need to, there's certain things we do. And we partner alongside with God through prayer and memorizing scripture and having our word, our Bible open all day, every day. But sometimes it's not just reading it or memorizing it or praying. There's action steps we need to take. Mm And so there was a moment that I struggled with that because I just thought, I love Jesus. I'm walking through the storm. He's going to get me out of it. And he did, but it did take some work, um, on my end, you know, kind of what that looks like. And I was just reading, um, this book called, she's still there, um, by Crystal Evans Hurst, but she kind of talks about that. There's just this tiny part. If I can just read a little, yeah, read it. a little part of it, but she just talks about like doing what you can to care for your soul. Do less, say no, make room for simple joys, rest, laugh, play, spend time connecting with God through reading his word and talking to him in prayer. But it may mean more than that. It may mean, yes, get counseling. Yes. Join an accountability group. Yes. Journal, purchase a pretty book and some colorful pens. Yes. Go on a retreat. Yes. Seek medical attention. Yes. Go to rehab. Yes. Apologize for the pain you've caused someone else. Don't just feel sorry. Say you're sorry. Then once you have done all you can do with whatever you seem to have left, trust him with a difference. And so I think that's so important is Mm -hmm. not to get caught up in, um, or just growing stagnant, just saying, I think so many women, sometimes we just go, we're like, Oh, we're, this is hard. This is hard. I'm in a hard season. And so we're either just kind of pitying ourselves or we're just, um, you know, all of a sudden what was hard in a marriage is now heading off in a horrible place where, you know, there could have been action steps that were taken to not be there. So all of that to say, everything through me experienced sickness for a year, one of the things I think we did well was we've just fought for everything. Mm -hmm. We fought for my health. We fought for, I mean, a lot of people were wondering how my relationship with Asher would be because I literally did not hold him till he was 15 months old. Mm. Um, and he's almost five and we have the sweetest mm. relationship I love that. and it is, you would never even know a, you wouldn't know he's a preemie cause he's huge. And B <laughs> you, we just like are, it's a very sweet thing, but we fought for that and it looked different. Obviously you imagine holding your baby his whole first life. So he was very well loved and cared for by Colby. And so, um, but we fought for our marriage. We, I saw a counselor individually. Colby saw a counselor individually. Once I got better, we went and saw a marriage counselor together and all three counselors said we had valid grounds to just kind of call it quits and mm-hmm. anything we walk through is really hard for someone, but we fought for our marriage. We fought for our family. We fought for, um, honestly, during this time, our financial situation was horrible. Um, losing, I pretty much lost my wedding business. I couldn't work at all cause I was sick. And then just being in ministry and Colby taking off so much work and mm-hmm. medical bills and counseling bills and all the bills. Yeah. Um, it just felt like we were drowning, but mm-hmm. we were fighting. We're, we're not going to we give fighting, up on yeah. this. We're, we're going to fight through every little thing. And so through that experience of just encouraging anyone else going through, it may not be postpartum psychosis, but if it is something in a marriage or something with your health or something, um, with just a personal thing of just fight, like doing whatever it takes. I think God has just, there's so much that he has for us and the, the plant, like, I don't want to ever be stereotypical, but he has 
heaven is not just heaven far away. Like mm-hmm. he has brought heaven on earth for us to experience right. abundant life. And we're not experiencing it because of certain either pain or hardship or suffering. And I don't know if you have read the Bible, but the verses on suffering talk about how much joy comes from it and Mm -hmm. perseverance and character and hope. And of course we kind of gloss over that, but it's true. Like Mm -hmm. no suffering is purposeless. Like there's so much good that comes from it. And so, um, I'm just reminded of how much good I remember speaking to a mops group a couple years ago. And the topic was why the wilderness matters of just like, how much good comes through walking through the wilderness, walking through dark, hard, dry times. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the hardest year of my life, but the best year of my life. So, geez. Well, I just love what you just said that um, no suffering is purposeless. And obviously there's things that, like you were saying, you were sleeping and, and resting and certain things that are biblical actually. And, and even, you know, there's so many times in scripture where God works miracles, but way more of the times he, um, uses people and circumstance and trials to refine people and help bring them through it. And, you know, a common question that gets asked is, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. Which theologically, I actually disagree with the wording because we're all sinners next to a holy God and and not good people. But the real underlying question is when we all have, even if he doesn't cause it, why does he allow suffering? Why doesn't he stop it? And though I don't have the full answers to that question, and I know you don't either, um, I always want to go back to scripture because it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the word of God says. And I see as I read all throughout time, how God has used trials and hard stuff to reveal his glory. Yeah. Maybe it's to refine an individual. Maybe it's because of a fallen world and just hard circumstances, but he uses it all. And I think about, um, there's that blind man in John nine and Jesus' disciples ask him who sinned. Was it him or his parents? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, neither this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. I think of other stories like when God allowed Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den so that God could deliver him and the king and really the whole nation would worship him as the true God. There was the Israelites in Egypt and you know, if they hadn't totally. have been in slavery for so long, it wouldn't have been such a beautiful redemption that he freed them from that. And, you know, Job obviously lost everything, but then realized that God had never abandoned him and still worked through it. And even Jesus, you know, I mean, he let his own son be crucified and we can all go, why? Like, why would he even do that? That's crazy. But yet through that, we all can be forgiven and spend eternity, you know, with him. And even Mm -hmm. Paul, you know, Paul was persecuted, put in prison, but from prison is where we get many of those letters in the new Testament today, which I think is just such a cool thing, um, that we wouldn't have them if he hadn't been in prison. Um, Totally. So anyway, all that to say, just thinking back to scripture, I don't have an answer to that question, but I know that somehow in some way, these trials present an opportunity to trust God. Absolutely. And even this week, I was just reading over it again. I'm doing um, Bible Study Fellowship, BSF. And conveniently this week, as I was preparing for the talk, this week it talked about the value of suffering from Romans 5. And Mm. I love this part in the notes where it talked about God asks us to trust him in his word. Believers can glory in our suffering because we can trust our faithful and good God. We cannot know everything there is to know about our specific trial, nor can we know all there is to know about suffering in general. But God's people know him. We can trust that in our Father's hands, our suffering is of lasting value. Sooner or later, suffering will come. 
But God does not ask us to smile and say, I'm fine, or to Hmm. grit our teeth and somehow get through suffering. Instead, our Father lovingly says, trust me, child. Hmm. And I just love that. Like, that's where I was at. It didn't make sense that I was still sick on month eight and month 10 and month 12. But every, it was, I I really remember, um, it was probably around the third month that I really felt the Lord say, trust my heart, even when you don't see my hand. Mm. And, um, and that's where I was at. Cause there was times I honestly didn't <clears throat> feel his hand or feel his presence, or I didn't think there was anything good coming from anything in the moment, but I did an overwhelmingly in my spirit, just since I'm saying, just trust me, just mm-hmm. that's all I'm asking in, even in the midst of this trial. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I'm with you in the, we don't know the purpose of it, but in the midst of it to just right. say, I'm going to choose to trust you no matter yeah. what. I, I think of we're coming up on Thanksgiving and um, makes me think of the verse in Thessalonians 5 that says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So is it hard to look back on this and be grateful? Really? Honestly, it's not hard. It does. I, I am overwhelmingly thankful and grateful. I think where I'm at five years later is I'm still kind of asking what do you have for me in this? You mm-hmm. know, cause it happened five years ago and I'm an open book and I discuss it openly, but honestly, where I'm at today is I'm perfectly healthy, everything. And I'm praising God for that. And I've had one baby, um, post everything and I'm pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously there's chances of something happening. Um, but I, I'm so grateful and thankful and I just want to be a wise steward with it. That may sound really silly, but I don't think it happened just to be swept under the carpet. You know what I mean? And so, but at the same time, you know, I mean, Colby and I talk about just like, just kind of what is the purpose of it? Like, I don't think I'm supposed to create like a postpartum ministry or anything like that, but I do really want to use my story for his glory. And so what does that look like? And have I done it well, or will I do it well, or kind of what that looks like. And so, um, that's just, I'm thankful for it, but I just want to be purposeful with it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, well, you're um, using it today. You're telling well, your story today, right now. Yes. I'm excited. Thanks for the opportunity. So I'm curious, do you have any, now that you are healthy and doing well, do you have any guardrails set up just to help protect your marriage and yourself and your family? Like if something like this were to come up again, um, are people yes. around you kind of <clears throat> making sure checks and balances. Totally. We had this when we got pregnant with number five, which, um, was definitely a whole story in of itself. Who was everyone shocked? Yeah. Yes. When you announce you're pregnant with your first, everyone is clapping and cheering and excited and grandparents can't wait. And then when you announce a pregnancy after a postpartum illness, it's not as exciting as it once was. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say, we everyone's just concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we did, it was one of those things of, we definitely spent a lot of time in prayer. We talked with a lot of doctors. We wanted to make a wise decision. We wanted to trust the doctors and ultimately trust the Lord. So all that to say, there's no rhyme or reason as to why it happens. No doctor can tell us if it is going to happen again. And so we set up those guardrails, um, with baby number five. And now with this one in the sense of, even though I'm perfectly healthy, I still see me, my OBGYN. I still see a counselor and I still see a psychiatrist. Um, it seems kind of like a waste of money. Um, but it's one of those things no, I think that's, that's great, very important mm-hmm. in the sense of all three of those doctors have 
each other kind of on speed dial in the sense of if I am in the middle of a counseling appointment and she can just tell I'm really depressed or I'm really manic, then she's calling my psychiatrist to get a medicine. You know, they're all, it's, I just have these team of people around me mm-hmm. that is that guardrail in the sense of what can I do on my end to make sure we're not going to head down another postpartum right. illness road again. But at the same time, I do what I can ultimately trust the Lord with the rest. And so we're going to, we're going to set up those guardrails and do whatever we can to protect mm-hmm. my health and family. Honestly, even where I'm at right now, um, as far as business, um, I, we booked a lot of weddings when I wasn't pregnant. And so now that I am pregnant, we're making some changes on the back end to say no to a lot of weddings, mm. to say yes to my health. And that's hard. I so mean, you have to set it. some boundaries. Yes. And so, but it's so important. And so, you know, it's one of those, it's, this is being completely honest and transparent, but there it's things struggling with pride. Like, no, I need to let the world know I can book all these weddings that I'm a good wedding planner. You know, if I say no, then that means, you know, so I'm dealing with that, but I'm like that, none of that matters. Like the things that matter is my health and my family and they need a healthy mom and a healthy wife. And so, yeah. um, but there is just that human flesh of, mm-hmm. um, the behind the scenes of it. And then financially, you know, booking more weddings helps us, um, just kind of where we are in ministry. And so with less weddings, it does create more of a sacrifice for us. But once again, that's important. That's yeah. a guardrail we're setting up because mm-hmm. of how important health marriage family is. So, mm-hmm. and it is, I know so many women just feel selfish or guilty or, you know, we need to be taking care of our families and our homes. And that is so important, but nothing good comes from an empty mom. And so, or an empty woman. And so what, what does it look like to take care of ourselves? And mm-hmm. I think that's different for every woman. And so, um, being a good steward of what God's given us and our bodies and our temples. And you can't give out of something that is not being filled up. And so ultimately, yes, taking care of ourselves, being in the word, just having God kind of transform our everything from the inside out. Right. So I think it's important to take care of ourselves. Yeah. He's our source. And you just said it, that we can't pour out if Absolutely. we're not getting poured into. And so if we're not being poured into by him, then yeah, we're going to run on empty and everything's going to crash and burn. Yep. If you could sum up what you've learned through this whole experience, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, everything that there's, it's hard to answer that question because there's so many different areas. Um, for me, one of the things that comes to mind is just fighting well, persevering, not giving up. Um, I know we all want just quick fix answers. And if mm-hmm. something's hard, you know, we're going to solve it right away and we're going to get better the next day and it'll all be better. But there's just things that happen in our life that are not going to get better the next day. And so, um, for me, my, it was all through a postpartum illness. And so fighting through that, not giving up, persevering when it was hard, focusing on my kids when I didn't want to, my marriage when I didn't want to, um, just really fighting well. In the midst of that, I think through my specific story of postpartum illness, um, so I kind of want to just take a little um, moment to encourage the mom that is in postpartum, whether that's one week or one month or one year, um, something that I didn't know this all happened after baby number four and with baby after my second child, um, I was never diagnosed with postpartum depression, but after everything that happened with number four, I can confidently say that I was struggling for a year with postpartum depression. And I say all this and kind of wrapping it up right now in the sense of, I just remember after my second baby was born that I, 
I just said every day, I was like, I'm just in a funk. I'm just, I can't get out of it. And, and all these words I was using were actually, I was in the middle of postpartum depression. And so I want to take a, just a short little moment to talk to the postpartum mom that if, um, you just feel like you're in a funk, if you haven't smiled, if you have no desire to go grocery shopping, no desire to take care of your kids or all of that is, Oh, like, they're just, it is an illness. And so to encourage the postpartum mom to do whatever it takes, it may require a doctor's visit to your OBGYN, maybe seeing a counselor, maybe trying certain supplements or medicine, but there can be joy and purpose in the midst of, um, being in a postpartum area. And so wanted to kind of make a little note towards them. And Mm -hmm. then also for people that are listening that are like, A, I don't have any kids. B, I've never gone through a postpartum illness. I can't really relate to anything you've said. Um, But we all go through trials. We all go through suffering. Yes, yes. Um, If you're not in it now, I, you know, it's like you don't want to break it to them, but it's coming. Um, To truly, those scriptures are not lying of all the good and all the joy um, that comes from suffering. And and to just do it well, to fight well. I, I always have to bring up this book um, that is so silly, but it really spoke to me so huge. I don't know if you've ever read it. Um, it's called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. It's a children's book. Mm, have you ever yes. read that to your yes. kids? I love it. We love it. Okay. But it's like, we're going on a bear hunt. So they're on this hunt. They're trying to, they're going through um, swamps and caves and grass and mm-hmm. water. And then at one part of the book, it says, you can't, can't go, go over it. it. You can't go <laughs> under it. You've got to go, go through, through it. it. Yeah. And I, I even have my own little voice to say with the kids. So sorry that that made it on the podcast, but <laughs> it's one of those things that we can't go over it. We're all going to go through stuff. We're going to go through stuff in our life and it's going to be hard. And you can't go over it in the sense of you can't act like you're fine there. I, I think there's even a book out that's like, don't fake fine. Mm-hmm. Like, so many times we're like, we're fine. We're good. Life's great. I love you. God, Jesus is good. Yay. And so I don't think we're supposed to live there. And then you can't go under it in the sense of we can't just hide in our bed, lock ourselves up from community, not be around people and just lie and kind of just be like, you know what? It'll be fine. I'm going to grit my teeth and close my eyes. And maybe when I wake up tomorrow will be better, but we've got to go through it. And so Mm -hmm. just to kind of wrap up everything as I went through a very difficult time, I think the the part of it that matters is I went through it. Like it, we go through those things and to fight and to persevere, to not, to do whatever it takes to guard our marriage, to do whatever it looks like in our mothering with our kids, our health, our finances, our walks with the Lord, like whatever that looks like, fight well, don't give up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. One of my favorite verses is Galatians six, nine, that says, do not become weary in doing what is good for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest of righteousness. And so there's times that it just feels hard. We're done. We're weary. We don't want to do another mundane task. We don't want to fight anymore for our marriage. We don't want to Mm-hmm. keep on saving money and being a wise steward and paying off debt. We're just done. And so, but don't do that. Don't take that attitude to fight well. So that was a really long answer to wrap it up of just fighting well and whatever it looks like in your life. Um, it's worth it. Your health's worth it. Your marriage is worth it. Your kids are worth it. It's all 
God has given us this life to use, to point to him, to give glory to him in all that we do, even through the trials. So, mm-hmm. Amen. sorry for a long answer. No, but. such a good answer. So good. Well, one thing I tell my friends is if they are struggling after having a baby is they can baby Moses, their baby on my front porch, just make sure I'm home, drop them off and go That's- get refreshed. You know, I think there's so much to say about getting alone with God to let him refresh you. And then also, you know, just the verse about Absolutely. when one, one person falls down, another one's there to pick you up. Like God put us, he totally. wants us to be in community for that purpose that we are Absolutely. there to encourage each other and help each other. And we're not meant to do life alone. So I think that's so good. And then I love oh, what you said also about, um, just there's no quick fixes. And like you said, that transcends so many areas of life, not just if you're going through postpartum depression or anxiety or psychosis or, um, whatever it is that, Really, a quick fix is just so not a thing other than, you know, if you're hungry and you need fast food and we have that in our culture, but it's just not a thing. It's just not a thing. You have to go through it. You have to walk through the process. And, you know, many times I don't want to is the honest answer. I don't want to go through it. I don't want to walk through the long, messy road and the hard stuff of that come with it. But, you know, God is with us in that process. Totally. Mm -hmm. All right. So switching gears kind of in this new season of life, five years later, what has God been teaching you lately? Yes. You know, he is teaching me a lot. Um, and one of the things is that it's okay to wrestle with him. And that word wrestle just keeps on coming up and not in a bad way. Like I just think of when Jacob was wrestling with him and him walking away with a limp. Like I kind of feel like there's days I just kind of walk with a limp. Like you, I've just kind of gone through the season with God. And even still five years later, kind of when I was mentioning earlier of how does he want me to use this story and use this experience? Um, and so I'm just kind of, there's things that I've come up that I'm like, just processing kind of with the Lord, um, saying, you know, is this something that you're wanting me to do? Um, and then just asking him questions kind of just raw, vulnerable, even just some things we're still struggling with five years later that it's kind of like, I thought we wouldn't be struggling with this and kind of just wrestling with him in that, um, and then also he's just been teaching me really the importance of, it seems obvious, but it is so important everyone asks like, why do I wake up so early in the morning? And it is because that is my life. Like that is what, how I can function as a wife and a mom. And so, um, really just being reminded of the importance of his word, of being in his word. And it doesn't have to be first thing in the morning, but for me, that is how I do all that I do or anything that I do is by being with him in his word, filling up the truth, um, I just don't want this life to be about me or about even like through my wedding business. It's not, I don't plan weddings. It's really more about the heart of marriage. And Mm -hmm. so there's just so much that I do that I want it to be about him. Um, and so that's kind of just where I'm at in the season of life. Hmm. That's so good. Davina Bress mentioned wrestling as well. And I, it resonates with me. And I also think about Paul with the thorn in his side, you know, we don't know what that was exactly. And, but for whatever reason, he asked God to take it away three times and and he didn't. And that's when he learned to persevere and go through that hardship. And again, it comes back to, there's a lot of answers that I don't have that I would love to have, but but if we had all the answers, it wouldn't take trusting God or, or having faith. So absolutely. So other than being in the word, what are some books or podcasts, blogs, sermons, any of that that you would recommend to someone else? Yes. I'm kind of a podcast junkie all of a sudden. It's what I do when I go on walks or runs. Um, And 
your podcast is definitely one of mine at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. I love um, a mom's story podcast. I love Journey Women podcast, Risen Motherhood, and Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. Those are all some of my favorites. They're all good, Um, yeah. And I read books. I know they're all so good. And for so many different reasons, and I'm always encouraged in different ways, and they're really, really good. Most of those I didn't even hear of until after I had started this one. But it's funny because a lot of those that you just mentioned are similar as far as just sharing conversation in real life and how God's shaping us in the process. Yes. I think that's why I love it so much. It is just real life of just real women with the Lord processing, journeying through, and all of those are some of my favorites. And then books is hard to ask because I read a lot of books. Um, are but you the one a, that came to my mind, a paper which I book reader or are you an audio? I am listener? a paper book reader. Yes, I am a paper all the way. I do you do audio? Um, I would probably prefer to sit down and read with a paper book, but sometimes when I don't have that time, I enjoy the audio feature too. But audio, my, I know, yeah. I so I like that. I like both, kind of a mix. But I would definitely say that I, I'm a highlighter. I like to kind of get my pens out. And I know, scribble, I am too. So I would prefer and that. And that's been I've been trying to um, save money on my books, so I've been getting a lot of books from the library, and it's so hard because yes. I just want to underline and write my little. <laughs> So I have my journal next to it. It's silly. The only um, thing that's I but don't one of the books I like about the library is that obviously you know there's just not as many options as Amazon, <laughs> but the library is free. So totally, I know. I always think through. Do you know? Because you can recommend books if they don't have it. Mm-hmm. You can tell them and normally they buy it. But anytime a new book comes out, I always recommend it. And then the library has it. So nice. There's a little part of me that thinks. I think I'm one to think for any book you see at the library, yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, you need this, you need this. Um, but yeah, it helps me save a lot of money. Okay. So back to books. Tell us what you like. Yes. One of the, I've read a lot of books recently, but the one that came to mind when I was just thinking through kind of everything we've talked about was 1000 gifts by Ann Voskamp. Mm-hmm. I've read that book right after my second child. Um, and honestly, that's when I was in a season that I was going through depression, but wouldn't have called it that I kind of just said I was walking, you know, I was tired. I was in a funk and I didn't have anything good in my life. I, I remember thinking that obviously that wasn't true. And so reading that book in that season was just so timely. Cause I just started, it's basically looking at all the gifts in your life. Like what has God what is all around you? And I just made a journal, a list of a thousand gifts in the midst of a really hard season. Um, and so it just reminds me even today of all the good. There's sometimes that one negative circumstance can just rip me up and Mm -hmm. all, you know, there's nothing good. My life is hard. No one else is struggling with this. I'm the only one. And changing our perspective and how important that is and looking at all the gifts. So that's one of my favorite ones. Um, kind of one of my all time favorite ones. I did just read, she's still there by Crystal Evans Hurst. And I really, really like that. Um, I think as moms, we kind of get in the season where we take care of our kid. Our focus has been on our kids so much that we kind of forget like, like, who, who am I? What am I doing? What is my purpose? Is mm-hmm. it just wiping butts and filling sippy cups? I don't know. <laughs> and so, um, Sometimes it, it, it just feels helps that you way. remind me like, yes. And there's so much joy and importance in that. Um, but to, it can be tiring and all of those things as well. So, um, it just really encouraged and challenged me in this current season that I'm in that can feel sometimes daunting of just a lot of mundane tasks with five small kids at home. Even in the midst of that, like the, 
the ministry in it, the purpose in it, the um, just kind of what God has for me, even in that. It was really good. I recommend people reading that. Mm, so it's good. All right. Well, do you have one final word of advice or encouragement that you want to share with those listening today? Um, I think it is, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it is just fighting for what matters. And so it's sitting down, getting with the Lord, opening up your journal, whatever it looks like for you. And just saying like, even if things are really good, um, sometimes that's when we're just kind of coasting, but I don't think we're made to coast. So I'm mm-hmm. um, just saying, Lord, what do you have for me in this season? What do you want to teach me? What, how do you want to use me? And then if we're, um, I think sometimes we get so busy that we just, don't even realize like there's things we need to be working on. We're so busy running our kids from activity to activity that we forgot that we haven't gone on a date with our husband in three months. So just being still, getting with the Lord, looking at our lives honestly and saying, what what can I work on? Um, if there is just a really hard season that you're going through, if there's anything you're suffering with, to fight well, to persevere well, to not give up, to continually seek God, trust Him, even when you don't see His hand, trust that His heart, that He's there, He's working, He's moving, and He's going to bring so much good from the situation. So, yeah, I just, I I really just pray that this is nothing about me, nothing about my story, nothing about um, anything, but ultimately all about God, what He's done, what He does continue to do, um, and how He has created us for a purpose to point others to him and how can we use our lives and our stories and our persevering well and fighting well and suffering well ultimately all for him so thank you for having me on i love your podcast thank you thank you well it's women like you who it gets me excited to be able to share together so thank you so much for being willing to be honest and open and share your struggles so that others will see god through it So no matter what you're facing today, big or small, like Amanda said, just keep going. Tell somebody, ask for help, seek God, and don't forget to fight for what matters because this is not the end of your story. Another great resource for anxiety and depression is episode number three with Whitney Reed, who's a medical PA and also wrestled through her own experience and who shares lots of great insight and wisdom. As always, these conversation notes are up on my blog at genjewel.com. And if you haven't done so yet, go and subscribe to the Messy Table podcast in iTunes. It's free. It's one click. Super easy way for these amazing stories to automatically come to your phone, ready for listening whenever is best for you. Also, I'm not great at asking, but if you are able, I would be super honored for you to take an extra second to rate and review this podcast while you're in iTunes. It's a simple way to help spread the word and some hope into this hurting world. Well, happy, happy Thanksgiving to you from me, and thank you so much for being a part of this messy table. Mm